0: morning everyone again go ahead and turn to back over to the book of obadiah to finish up with that this morning neglected to be able to get um, any handouts printed this morning, so unfortunately I don't have those, so that means you just got to listen extra close um, this morning. we will be lots of um, scriptures back and forth we'll be going to, so have your fingers ready, need some volunteers at certain points, and that kind of thing too. Um, so yes, so we are going to finish up our um, look at the book of Obadiah here, just a little Little letter of the Old Testament is actually the shortest book in the Old Testament as well. I think it's only had 21 verses. Um, so thinking back from last week, what can you remember um, about the book of Obadiah? It Deals with, yes, the Lord's judgment on the nation of Edom. Yeah, again, it's not specifically dated No, in um, in the letter, but just from looking at some things, it potentially could have been back in that, that time frame there, potentially one of the earliest of the writing prophets. Um, so back in the, potentially 800s, early 100s um, um, B.C. So again, during Israel's kingdom period, um, when they had um, kings in the north and in the south. Anything else? What well, particularly about... Edom themselves, itself. By the time this book's here, the book's written, the, um, the line had been crossed. Where did they live? Yeah, where did they live kind of in relation to Israel? Like north, south, east, west. They kind of live south, kind of south of that Dead Sea kind of area, and then it's already been alluded to, obviously it's a very rugged, very um, mountainous um, area, And they definitely took full advantage of that with the way that they lived and um, um, had their places and stuff. So you can kind of see in the first couple some of the first couple of verses of Obadiah, how does God kind of describe them in um, location and stuff? It's like clefts of the rocks. I mean, again, you exalt yourself as the eagle. Again, they kind of had very much taken advantage of the terrain that they were and very strong, very very defendable, very high. And that was one of the things that um, brought pride in their lives. And again, I kind of just alluded to that, but pride is kind of the big, one of the big focuses here. Um, in the book of Obadiah, just the pride of Edom, and God's talking about that. It's kind of almost laying charges against them, kind of like in a court, and here's the judgment that's going to come from it. So again, last week we kind of looked at, kind of focused on their, their pride specifically, and then this week is kind of focusing more on their resentment, of Israel and the bitterness and the accompanying sins that come with that um, of of Israel. So again, kind of talked about some of the um, um, some of the kind of like facts and stuff on Obadiah last week. Again, it's focusing on the um, the judgment on the nation of Edom there. And for time's sake, we'll go ahead and just um, we won't read everything. Um, we won't reread it this morning since we did read it last week just for time's sake and everything here. So it's interesting. It describes in a very clear language you know, the destruction of Edom for their pride and then specifically against Israel and everything here. Um, you can kind of see in here, and then we're going to actually go back and look at some historical things going back, but you can see there is a very long and bitter line of resentment against Israel. You can see it all the way back to the very beginning. Um, And that obviously got passed on. (laughs) Because Edom surely lived with a bitter soul. So we're going to kind of look at some of the things with that um, this morning. So let's look at the family history of the resentment here. Again, it talks about here, you know, those who are the closest often can have the hardest time getting along on that. And it's interesting. It says the soul that harbors bitterness generally has a family history, which is kind of interesting thinking about that. And there's definitely is in this case. So notice concerning Edom and then Israel or Judah, kind of think of them synonymous in this case. Um, notice, one, the relationship. Look in verse 10. It says, for thy violence against thy it say? Brother, Jacob. Edom and Israel were brothers. In fact, they were actually twin brothers. You could actually, so keep a finger here in Obadiah and then turn back to the book of Genesis. Again, look at a number of uh, uh, verses and everything here. You can see how, again, the Bible very clearly lays out that um, Edomites are the descendants of Esau. You can see that in Genesis 25. Um, Genesis 25, verse 30. Again, this, is kind of, this verse is kind of laying a little groundwork here. It's interesting. This is when his birthright, Esau sells his birthright. It says, and Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same interesting red pottage is called red. For I am faint. Therefore was his name called... Kind of interesting. Because Edom means red. That's the idea of red. You can also see that where they lived, just like the rocks and the sandstone, redish color and stuff. So their name meant a lot with what they were. Um, Edom there. You can even see it in chapter, chapter 32. Um, chapter 32, verse 3. It says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, under the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Again, you see that there. Chapter 36, verse 1. This might be a, might be a clear statement here. Um, chapter 36, verse 1 says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. So the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And again, of course, Israel was the descendants of Jacob. We're kind of close here. Go back to chapter 35, chapter right back there, chapter 35, verse 10 says, and God said unto him, talking to Jacob here, thy name is Jacob, thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Again, we know the story kind of on that, but the Israelites were the descendants of Jacob. Of course, you can see it. Um, we won't look at it for time's sake, but you know, chapter 46, that's when they're going down to Egypt. The sons of Israel. You know, as it talks about you know, all the 12 tribes there, that will, what would become the 12 tribes with their names. So the Edomites the descendants of Esau. Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. So not only to see their relationship, but you also see their rivalry. Again, back in Obadiah, remember it said that violence against... Well, of course, not only thy brother, but against thy brother. You see the rivalry here. Of course, it um, started in the womb, actually. If you go back to chapter 25 in Genesis, um, you can see it here. Genesis 25, and then verse 22, starting right there. Genesis 25, this is Isaac and Rebekah here. Genesis 25, verse 22 says, And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, they were twins, in her womb, and the first came out red, interesting, you see this red, all over, like in hairy garments, and they called his name Esau, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, so you see it started in the womb, and then of course, it was in the home as well, um, the rest of this chapter here talks about that situation where, um, no. Esau is coming in and sells his birthright. Of course, we know. I think everybody's familiar with that story and what happened um, and everything there. Of course, he despised it at the moment, it's called. Um, Esau does, and he very much regrets that later. Jacob takes full advantage of the situation, obviously, because Jacob's name... What does Jacob's name mean? Anybody know he He's a supplanter, a deceiver. He um, took advantage of the situation for his own benefit. And he did, and you see in the, actually verse 34, the end of it it says, "Thus Esau despised his birthright." And then of course, over in chapter 27 is the familiar story, you know, when Isaac is dying, and you no, know, they're gonna—he's gonna bless his sons. Situation with you no, know, he sends Esau to go get, um, go hunt something for him and make it because he loved his venison. Of course, Rebecca hears it, switches Jacob up with it Jacob no put stuff on his arms and make his arms all hairy and like furry whatever like Esau even smelled (laughs) like Esau apparently and of course then he deceives him deceives his father he lies to him Um, and he gets he gets the blessing the birthright that's there then even so go ahead and turn to the chapter 27 then you see the end of course when as soon as Jacob's gone says he was yet scarce gone out when Esau got back. Of course, then Esau goes in expecting to get um, what's his, rightfully. Of course, Jacob, verse 33, actually Isaac, and Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who, where is he that hath taken medicine and brought it to me? He's like, someone's already been here, and I thought it was you. And I gave him the blessing, verse 35, and he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? (laughs) For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Of course, if you were to look back at what Jacob said, or at what Isaac said about Jacob, it's... um, Obviously, some very uh, um, desirable things that he would be blessed with. Which you see, so then Esau again comes back here and is like, basically, you "Do not have anything left for me," is what he says. Basically, verse thirty-eight of the chapter here. Actually, go back to verse thirty-seven. It says, and Isaac answered and said unto Esau, "Behold, I have made him thy lord." Talking about Jacob, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants and with corn and wine have I sustained him what shall I do now unto thee my son and Esau said unto his father hast thou but one blessing my father bless me even me also my father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept and Isaac his father answered and said unto him behold thy dwelling should be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above and by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. But you see the rivalry between Israel and Edom starts already way back here at this point. It's interesting. no? God knew eternally what decisions Esau and Jacob would make and what actions they would take. God actually has some interesting things he says about Esau in the book of Hebrews that we're going to look at. And, of course, he fits and fitted all of that into his eternal plan for his chosen people, the Messiah. and Chosen people, Israel, and then the, the Messiah, the messianic line. Think about, didn't Abraham have two sons too? Again, did he hate Ishmael? No. You can actually see, um, I actually, actually turn back to Genesis um, 17. Genesis 17, which, granted, you can argue Ishmael was never in God's plan, period. That was brought about because of Abraham and their lack of faith in God. Genesis 17, 4 to 8. It says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God." And God also has some interesting things that he talks about in um, in Romans chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there as well. Um, We'll just look at these verses as well. I think we'll have some time to do that. Romans chapter 9. Again, this is the Apostle Paul speaking here. And looking back, Romans chapter 9. someone want to volunteer to read uh, verses 7 to 14? Anybody? Romans 9, 7 to 14. Go ahead, Andy. Neither because they are the
1: seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for, for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there righteousness with God? God forbid.
0: You see that where it says, as it is written? If you go back to Malachi chapter 1, you'll see that reference to as it is written. Go back to Malachi chapter 1 here. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi 1 verse 1. Says the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved I have loved you, <laughs> saith the Lord. What words? I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, Yet I love Jacob. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness, whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So again, you can kind of see again, he knew what decisions would be made and what actions people would take. And he fit all of that, again, into his p- ultimate plan on that. And again, it's not necessarily based on the individual personalities, you know, of, Esau and Jacob here, but you can kind of see some things about Esau that we'll look at later, but his overall plan for his people, who they would be, and then ultimately the Redeemer that would come. So again, not only, again, we're kind of talking about Edom and their, um, the family history, the relationship that they had with Israel, their rivalry, but then also you see The resentment. Again, back in Obadiah, um, you saw in verse 10 there, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob. You remember Esau's reaction to Jacob and his deception? What was he? And that anger was going to lead to what? He was planning to kill him for it. Again, he was gonna wait until after his father died, and then he's gonna do it. He was planning for it. And of course, Rebecca hears it, and that's when Jacob gets sent away. Um, you no know, For his safety, thinking of that's all on God's plan too. You no, know, That's where he gets sent away to Laban. That's you know, where he meets Rachel and Leah, and that whole thing happens there. Jacob gets a little bit of his own medicine too. But, but Esau's reaction, it wasn't, definitely wasn't one of forgiveness. And letting things go. It, his resentment was turning into a plot for murder. And you can kind of see, kind of furthering down in, um, in Genesis, and of course, the story there. It, apparently, he's obviously cooled down eventually. You can see in Genesis 33, you know, they did meet and didn't kill each other, <laughs> which is positive. But, again, Esau also didn't come by himself either, did he? (laughs) He came 400 guys with him, too. But um, it seems really the resentment never was really dealt with, was it? Because it seemed to just kind of pass on to succeeding generations. Hence, the Book of Obadiah. And some thousand years later at this point, which is crazy to think about in Obadiah, Obadiah is issuing God's sentence on as a judgment on a people who never got over it. They never let it go. They always—it's like almost like something that you just pass on. You know, it's your tradition. You know, they hate Israel, as your um, the resentment that they had. And you can see this resentment again. We're kind of going to track some things down through here throughout history. You can see it again through that thousand-year period some several examples. Um, Turn back to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Someone want to volunteer to read um, verses 14 to 21? Anybody? Numbers 20. 14 to 21. Go,
1: Pastor. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us in our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel. And hath brought us forth out of Egypt, and behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. <clears throat> Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country, and we will, we will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water, of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders, and Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway, and if I and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him.
0: So you can—it's interesting. Even Mo, what does Moses say in verse 14? Thus saith thy brother, <laughs> Israel, and everything here. Again, so you see it all the way. This point again, this is from so you say, um, Jacob, now to Moses. Again, fair amount of time, hundreds of years at least, in between that, and you and again. The relationship's still referenced, you know, thy brother, we're thy brother, we're your brother. And again, absolutely not. (laughs) And they were going to fight him to make sure it didn't happen either. Again, if you can kind of think of the geography of everything, the direct route that they were going to try and take, and they weren't allowed so they had to go around eventually. Um, But they weren't allowed. You You see the resentment against Moses at this point in Israel. You also see it against Saul, um, and David, that reference in 1 Samuel 14, that's talking about Saul when he's after, after he became king. And then he was fighting against all their enemies round about. It's the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Syrians, list the Edomites in there too. Do you see their resentment against them? And then in 2 Samuel, that's a reference there of David. Um, it's also a reference to Joab and Abishai too. No, slaying of Edom in the Valley of Salt, 18,000 again. um, It seemed that the Edomites and the Syrians at that point were actually kind of allies against Israel. Um, So you see against David. So again, hundreds of years after Moses at this point. You also see it against some of the other kings of Israel and Judah in this time. Again, mainly against Judah just because they were the very closest, again, right there, um, location-wise. You can see it... um, Against Jehoram, again, that's Jehoshaphat's son. Again, he was a wicked king, and the Lord used kind of the Hedomites to help judge him in that. But you see, that's when um, it's listed that obviously they were put under Israel in the time of David and kind of all the way down through till Jehoshaphat died, it seems. And then in Jehoram's reign, they rebelled against Judah. Obviously, we're fighting against him at that point. It's interesting, if you actually go to the book of Amos, which if you're in Obadiah, it's right before that. Help you find it. Book of Amos. It's actually interesting what Lord, some things the Lord references in here. Amos 1, verse 6, if you see this. says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza. Who's that? Philistines, right? Philistines, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive, the whole captivity, to deliver them up to Edom. Interesting. Look at verse 11, same chapter. The Lord's kind of issuing some judgments against basically all of Israel's enemies in this chapter here. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. Doesn't that sound like harboring your bitterness <laughs> and everything and keeping it? He kept his wrath forever. It says, but I will send a fire upon T-Man, and shall devour the palaces of Bosor." You can see the history. They held it. That's like maybe part of their... Um, cultural DNA you know what I mean it's like you're not really an Edomite unless you hate Israel kind of thing um, but they cast, they kept it you can see it against Amaziah again a couple kings after Jehoram he, he actually fought against the Edomites he did some own kind of cruel things to him himself with some things they did there you can see it against um, with Ahaz that should be familiar no, Hezekiah's father um, again you see it just throughout Israel's kingdom history there um, you see that there you also see it interestingly um, against Zedekiah, which who is but Zedekiah, who is that? Who was he? Something kind of significant about him. He was the very last king of Judah. remember he was kind of essentially set up by Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> to um, after, of course, Nebuchadnezzar had already been there twice, so that the Babylonians controlled him. He was just kind of the puppet king set up. Of course, he rebelled against um, the Babylonians. But it's interesting, there's some things here. Turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137, verse 7. The last, uh, one of the last verses of the chapter here. Psalm 137. If you look in verse 1, actually, you can see this is actually one of those psalms written after the um, captivity or after no, Israel's been taken captive. It's not like a psalm of David. This is written after. It says, by the rivers of Babylon there we sat. <laughs> yea, we wept and when we remembered Zion. Again, this is talking looking back. Look now to verse 7. It says, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem. The day of... Jerusalem's destruction who said raise it, raise it even to the foundations thereof and again our usual spelling for that's R-A-Z-E idea of demolish so you, you could just see the hatred and resentment and bitterness throughout thousands and hundreds of years of history of Edom against Israel. It's interesting we, I don't even, we might not have time to look at these but you can see it even in Ezekiel References Edom, Jeremiah, Isaiah, um, the major prophets, so to speak. Scripture's filled with things against Edom in their their history and their hatred of Israel. You can also see, again, back in Obadiah, there's some kind of prophetic statements that seem to be maybe talking about that Babylonian destruction that happened to Israel. Again, I would have been looking ahead probably from when... Obadiah was written. But then you can also see it in the New Testament. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is a reference in the New Testament here. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as who? Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. One, you see some things about Esau's character as well, about himself. And there's, of course, some things he did later directly against his parents' wishes and everything, too, with who he married and some things as well. He's given it as an example of bitterness in the New Testament here, which is really interesting. Um, there's some other things we could talk about there want to get ahead of ourselves here. But in Obadiah, again, you kind of now at this point, kind of God's given kind of the formal hearing here of their resentment against Israel. So is it, was it really that bad? Why was he judging them so surely? Um, you've ar- we've already seen, again, Edom was a very proud people. And, you know, pride and resentment often go hand in hand. Not only were they very proud of who they were, but they hated and resented Israel with it. And in the verses 10 to 14 of Obadiah, the Lord kind of gives a formal listing of um, some of the crimes that they committed against Jacob, against Israel. Um, Ample evidence to convict them of a bitter soul is presented in it um, he gives kind of a general indictment if you again getting back to obadiah here kind of just says thy violence against thy brother jacob now that kind of implies no a cruelty that's both deceptive and damaging and it kind of also talks about that even was one of those who participated in the destruction of jerusalem again that Could have had some several historical fulfillments. Again, you think of those kings and the things that happened in that time. But obviously fully when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it back in 586 B.C. And then he gives some specific accusations given against him here. He states eight things, eight crimes fostered by their resentment that Edom should not have committed. Look at verse 12. Verse 1, but thou shouldest not, here you go, looked on thy brother. Complacency. The idea of just looking on is not helping, not caring. Shouldest thou, thou shouldest not, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over their destruction. You can see that. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of... Of their destruction. They rejoiced at their destruction. They were happy. They were glad to see it. Number three, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly. You see that a lot, don't you? Pride and Edom and the resentment goes hand in hand. Here. We also we already read that verse in Psalm 137, where there's like, no, in the day of Jerusalem's judgment, raise it, raise it to the foundation. The heaped insults and boastful remarks, thou shouldest not have spoken proudly. See that in verse 12. Verse 4 Neither shouldest thou have entered into the gate. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. They took advantage and looted and take, were those that pilfered Israel in this time. Number 5 Thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction. Verse 13 idea of they had no pity, no compassion, none in this end time. Number six, neither shouldest thou have laid their hands on their substance, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Now, they not only looted and stole, but they also helped the, the Chaldeans by taking hold the weak and the defenseless. You'll see some other things here. Verse 14, again, so keep in the context of Israel's destruction... Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. It's almost like they were backing up. <laughs> the Chaldeans, no, by like guarding the roads and anybody who escaped, they take them. Or possibly even, no, breaches in the walls of people that escaped from the Chaldeans. Again, you, not a great picture <laughs> that's being painted here. Then number eight, neither shouldest thou have delivered up. You can see now, obviously, when the Chaldeans there, people, Jews fled those that could. Some obviously probably escaped into the land of Edom, but they were the Edomites would catch them and hand them over to the Babylonians. Verse 14 again, neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of his distress. Of course, obviously referring to, I'm sure, selling them into slavery and everything there. So kind of a summary, you can kind of see the charges here. Their hard attitude, their haughty speech, and their harsh actions against Israel. You can see it here for thousands of years, or at least a thousand years. The bottom line is they were desirous for the destruction of Jerusalem. They harbored bitterness against them, and they had to be judged for it. Again, it's not like just a one-time... Something that happened, though, that God said, oh, oh, don't like you anymore. They had plenty of time. You think about this. From the time of Esau in here, a thousand years. They had plenty of time to get right. <laughs> and Israel's right there, the truth, prophets, God's word. But they refused. Again, so in Obadiah, there's no call to repentance issued because it had already crossed the line. It's interesting, so then putting this into us today with us and things we struggle with. What are some companions of bitterness today for us? Um, there there's some verses we'll go look at. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Again, companions. Of bitterness. So what's some things that accompany bitterness um, for us? Ephesians 4.31 says, let all what? <laughs> bitterness, the very first thing mentioned. Okay, so let all bitterness, and so after this, there's some things that accompany that. You see wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So you see some things that accompany bitterness today for us. Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Again, not some good things, is it? You can also see um, in Romans 3, we won't look at that verse for time's sake, talks about cursing. Then go to James 3. James 3 is another verse here to look at. James 3. James three, fourteen. Again, but if ye have bitter. There you see it again. Bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts. Glory not, and lie not against the truth. You see some of the things that accompany bitterness are pride, envy, strife, lying. Again, these are things that we can have problems with. We do have problems with. So with Edom, again, the last part kind of of the book of Obadiah here, he gets kind of to the full harvest of the resentment here. God had certainly blessed Edom. In the past, you know, he didn't just, like, kill Esau and cut him off and he's done. Perhaps even merely because they had an ancestry back to Abraham. Again, this is, I think, talking about um, talking about Ishmael, but it's talked about God gave some blessings on him because he was the son of Abraham. Eden was similar in the ways. Um, I don't remember the verses, but it talks about, again, the... Um, God wouldn't let his people, like when they were coming through, mess with them because they're there, like giving them that land. But no, wouldn't God have blessed them even more if they had blessed Israel instead of cursing them regarding bitterness against them? Because what did God tell Abraham? Yes. Yes talking about Abraham I'm going to bless those that bless you and those that curse you <laughs> I'm going to curse them now they must face judgment again you can, it's really interesting sitting back and you can just see it's like they held onto it they held it they wouldn't let it go they like loved it almost just their hatred and their resentment against Israel it's the reward that was going to happen to them here and Obadiah here, i go ahead and jump back there. You see that they were going to be, they were going to reap what they sowed. Um, you know, you reap what you sow. God talks about in Galatians, Proverbs twenty six, twenty seven. You know, he that rolls a stone, I'm going to roll it back on him. He that digs a pit is going to fall into it. What he talks about. They would be brought low. Look in Obadiah, verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. They were going to be, you can see in verse 1 and verse 7, they were going to be betrayed by their confederates. And those that they had uh, allied against, Israel, they were going to be betrayed by them. They were going to be made small, verse 2. They were going to fall, remember, from their exalted place in the rocks and the clefts. And though, you got to, though you're up by the eagle, I'm going to bring you down. They were going to be totally looted. You can see in verses 5 and 6, their wisdom would be despised. Again, Edom seemed to be known for wise men. Mighty men, their mighty men were going to be filled with fear. You can see that in verse 9. And they were going to be scattered and their land taken. And it's interesting, not only were they going to be brought low, I kind of already referenced this, but they were going to be brought to extinction, literally. Cut off forever. The judgment would be complete and final. So what about when? You can see the judgment was imminent, probably about the time this was written. Again, the Assyrians were probably kind of the first ones to kind of exact some judgment on them. They were kind of no vassals and under them at, at certain times. The Babylonians eventually would kind of conquer them um, around the time of Nebuchadnezzar and Abinaitis and all that, that kind of time. They would be kind of control them and get tribute from them. And it's interesting. By the late Old Testament period, the Edomites were hardly even a people at this point. By the book of Malachi, their land would become, if you've probably you've seen the name, it would be known as Edumia. You might have seen that on maps of the Bible in the New Testament period. Um, I think it's also referenced a couple times, but you see that, like their land kind of became known as that. Israel's always been Israel, hasn't it? <laughs> and it would be, eventually be occupied by just a mixture of people. And, of course, even prophetic, even getting back further and ahead into the future, the day of the Lord, where their nation and everybody else is going to be judged by God fully at some point. Give me a look at those verses for time's sake. Joel 3 talks about multitudes, multitudes in a valley of decision. The Lord's near in the valley of decision. Might be not a total quote, but similar. But then also in this whole thing about this judgment on Edom, Israel's restoration is talked about. If you look, the Lord obviously judged Israel for their sin. But unlike Edom, they were going to continue, and they were going to be restored. They'd be restored as a nation, and again, or, of course, eventually, someday in the future still, they will turn to God, their Messiah. They'll look on him whom they've pierced. It says they look on me whom they've pierced, is what God says. Their deliverance would come. If you look, um, verse 17, you can see it here. says, but upon Mount Zion, again, this is all contrasted, all about Edom and their judgment and what's going to happen. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph, a flame and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken it and he continues on some things there. Verse 21, and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be Israel's, right? The kingdom shall be the Lord's, what he talks about. Deliverance was going to come to Jerusalem. It wasn't coming to Edom. Of course, of course, after Nebuchadnezzar's destruction, 70 years later when they came back. But ultimately, probably what this is more referring to is more in the future, in the millennium, when Israel is a kingdom. Again, divine intervention would cause Israel to inhabit and rule over Edom's land as well as, of course, their other enemies. So what's some lessons here, kind of to close up? You know, bitterness not repented of will grow and destroy. You see it with Esau. He refused to let it go. He let it fester. Just tu- turn back to Hebrews 12 again back to Hebrews 12 again. It says looking um, diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright again not re- bitterness not repentant of will grow and destroy and it destroys the owner, not the object of it. Think of Israel and Edom. Who'd that bitterness destroy? Them. It wasn't Israel. Of course, God had a hand in that. But this is interesting as well. No, bitterness like a terrible disease spreads from its initial owner to affect many others. Think of Esau. It wasn't just it didn't just die with him, did it? No. It passed on to his family, to his line, for hundreds of years, for a thousand years. Verse 15: Looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. They wouldn't let it go, and it destroyed them eventually. So about us, again, this is a really easy statement to make and not a very easy one to live. Circumstances in life should make God's people better, not bitter. Again, you can think of Romans 8.28. Therefore we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them are they called according to his purpose. God's people can and should trust. Philippians 4 um, talks about being careful for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus um, very much reminds me of that message that um, you know, we listened to this week um, The Secret Place if you haven't listened to it I encourage you to do it it's a, uh, probably be a message that you probably will never forget but just the promises there in Psalm 91 that can be, can be ours, can be yours by dwelling in the secret place. But that kind of goes all back into this of not getting bitter
1: about it. There's another thought about <clears throat> Esau when he came to Jacob. And uh, he came in peace with his, how many men, 400? He... And his nation was bigger than Jacob's at that point. He was the top dog, And it's real easy for him to be happy. And, and I see people in life like that. It's a bad thing when when you look at things through how well things are going for you. But if you look when you wouldn't let them go through, it said the world knew that God had delivered Israel through the Red Sea. Jacob, or Esau, the Edomites were not top dogs. then. <laughs> there's a spirit of jealousy as well in there, I would say. And there's kind of a number
0: of questions here. We won't look at them for, for time's sake, but some uh, um, some good things to think about. So, hope this that, looking at Stobadiah for this past two weeks is um, kind of interesting if you learn some things. Again, just to see the, and the lesson just of how really pride and then bitterness is just so destructive in our lives. Probably that's Maybe that's why God hates it so much. That's why God hates it so much. Because <laughs> he knows what it does to people, what it does to us. Thereby many be defiled. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning... Thank you for the this, this, this study we were able to look at the past, um, just the past two weeks. Um, just looking at, looking at Obadiah and the, um, the many, just the lessons that you can see just with, um, with your people, of course, and the Edomites, again, just the history of pride and bitterness and hatred that was there on the, on the behalf of the Edomites. Then it all started with Esau, and he wouldn't let it go. And again, that got passed on and grew and festered until it caused actions that were wrong for a long time. And thinking of us today, just pride is a deceptive and hard thing sometimes. And then bitterness as well, because it kind of can be a root in our hearts that has to be dealt with. But just to realize that it, Hurts us the most, doesn't hurt other people as much as we think it does probably. And again, many be defiled with it. It affects more than just us. Help us to, again, I think it's only a work of you to view just pride and bitterness how you do and stamp it out and yank it out in our lives and not let it um, spring up and defile us. And I pray for the message to come again it kind of probably be some <laughs> some similar things in there as well um, let's get a pastor as he opens your word um, and has shows what you've uh, laid on his heart for us to hear let we'll be able to be attentive and alert stay awake and focused on your word as well in Jesus name amen